We appreciate you doing that. And again, if you finished in the time we had this morning, feel free to pass those with the attendance cards at the end of services. If you didn't finish, that's fine. Take them home. We'll have the box out in the lobby for the next week and a half, right up until our prayer vigil. You can email those in. You can send them in through the website. You can invite others to be part of it. Uh, it's going to be a, another great prayer vigil, and we hope we can pray for what's going on in everybody's life. We've been spending a lot of sunny mornings this year talking about what you see on the screen, the big picture story of the Bible. What really happens? And we're just trying to remind ourselves, what are some of the, what are some of the bigger events that all come together to form that, that story that God has been working out in His world, the story of trying to bring people back to Him? And here in these fall months, we're talking about the Christian age. We, we saw Jesus come and do the most amazing things people have ever seen, healing people, performing miracles. We saw Jesus give the most amazing teachings the world has ever seen. We looked at some of His eternal thoughts about how don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where all this stuff disappears and moth and rust destroy it. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Just eternal, big picture logic that's hard to argue with. And then last week we looked at the cross. And I hope if nothing else we got across the idea that all roads in Scripture, all roads in history lead to the cross. Everything before it and after it came together right there where Jesus died and then three days later rose again. And today, as you see on the screen, we're going to talk about how the church started. I suppose from the outside of Christianity, you might look in and say, so where did the church come from? Like, is that something people made up or is that something God wanted? How did that happen? That's what we're going to talk about today. And all comes, again, starting with Jesus Christ. After Jesus rose from the dead, Acts 1-3 tells us, He appeared to His apostles over a course of 40 days. So there were 40 days of him teaching them, as that passage says, teaching, to, teaching them what God wanted them to do in the kingdom, uh, appearing to them, making it very clear that he really was risen from the dead. They didn't think people rose from the dead all the time, just like we don't think people raised from the dead all the time. So he really had to show them this was real. And, and they, you couldn't shut them up after this. There was no body to be found. You could have stopped Christianity real quick. If you just showed a body, hey, here's Jesus, he really died, he didn't raise again, that would have stopped all this stuff. But you couldn't do it, because Jesus had really risen again. That body you could find was up walking around talking to his apostles. And so over those 40 days, he's teaching them. And one of the things he does during that time is he gives them a new mission. Up until this time, Jesus and his apostles have been teaching just the Jews, that was God's chosen people from way back in Abraham. Remember, God chose Abraham to be that special family. And then the, the 12 tribes of Jacob, and now that family just multiplied. And so the Jews were God's people through whom He would help save the whole world. And so they've been just teaching the Jews for all this time. But now on a mountain in Galilee, and then on a mountain right outside Jerusalem, Jesus gives a new mission to His followers. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 was on the mountain outside of Galilee. Remember, Galilee's where all this started. Nazareth and all, all that area where Jesus had been growing up and teaching. Verse 18 says, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Keep that verse in mind. We'll say something about it here in just a second. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So not just Jews, not just those who grew up here in the law of Moses. Go now to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus, in one sense, wasn't going anywhere. We'll see how that works here in just a second, too. But notice the mission. All nations now. In fact, most of us here today are products of that mission. That we didn't grow up in the Jewish faith. We sure didn't grow up in Jerusalem or that area. But it's that faith of the gospel has been passed from person to person to person, from generation to generation. And we're part of that mission even here in 2019. The other mountain outside Jerusalem mission passage is here in Acts chapter 1. And this is right before Jesus ascends back to the throne of God. In Acts 1 and verse 8, Jesus tells His apostles, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Notice how it was going to spread. It says, from right here in Jerusalem, you'll receive power. It's going to go from Jerusalem to all Judea, up to Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Don't ever accuse Jesus of not having a big enough vision. (laughs) Don't ever accuse Jesus of of not thinking big enough, because here are these, at this time, 11 guys, and, and Matthias is going to join them to take Judah's place here in just a second to make it 12 apostles again. But Jesus says, I want you 12, starting with you 12. I want every single nation to be impacted by the message of Jesus Christ and the salvation found in Him. Um, and again, we're part of that even today. So He gives them a new mission. And then He ascends back to God. And I just wanted to make this note. Don't miss how important that is. Jesus came here to earth for a short time to experience all the weakness that we experience. To go through all the pain and the sadness and to be tempted in every way like we are, Hebrews 4.15 says, yet without sin. So He came to show us that it's possible. He went through all that. But that time of weakness of Jesus, that time has passed. That's not a reality today. Because what happens after He says these things from that mountain, the Mount of Olives, right outside of Jerusalem... After he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. It's like God wanted them to see this image of where Jesus was going. He was going high above the earth, back into even heaven itself, and he wanted them to see, wanted us to see, that Jesus was going high above the earth, back to where he had started. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Uh, angels were often mistaken for two men in white clothing or men in white clothing in the Bible. And so I think that's what's going on here. And the angels say to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? (laughs) Um, I imagine I would have been doing the same thing. I imagine I still would have been looking into the the spot in the cloud where Jesus went in. And I would imagine I'd have been seeing if anything else was going to happen. These guys say, why are you still looking up in the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched Him go into heaven. We'll get to talk about the second coming here in a few weeks. That's how the the story ends, the Bible story, what God has promised about that. He says He's going to come back just like you've seen Him go up into those clouds. He's going to come back in the clouds one of these days. But they had a mission and they knew what their mission was because Jesus had told them. The apostles had already been told... Wait here in Jerusalem. Wait here. 
And God is going to send power. In fact, Jesus told them He was going to send power. He was going to go up next to the Father and they were going to send the Holy Spirit to them in a special, miraculous way. And, and that they would know what to do when the Spirit came upon them. So you see that just a few verses earlier in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus had gathered them together before He ascends back to the Father. It says, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which He said, You heard of from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus told them what the plan was. I don't think they had it all figured out. He said, you wait here, I will send the Spirit, you'll receive power, and then you're going to start this mission that I've given you to be part of. So the risen Jesus has ascended back to the right hand of the Father, and that's where you see Him in the rest of Scripture. It's just how important that is. He has all authority. He is the King over His world. As He told them in Matthew 28, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus has not retired. He has not left His people permanently. He is still involved with His church from the right hand of the throne of God. And now the plan is going to happen where the church is going to begin. It's going to happen right there in Jerusalem. This is a, a drawing someone did somewhere along the way of what they picture Jerusalem to be around the time of Jesus. And so perhaps this is what it looked like. But there came the day of Pentecost, about a week later, about a week after Jesus ascended into heaven. You have the day of Pentecost, where all those things Jesus promised happened. First, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes on them and gives them the power of tongues. We're not going to do a full study of of tongues today, but what that word tongues means is languages. They had the ability, as we're going to see here in just a second, to speak languages they had never learned. That's what the gift of tongues was in Scripture. It wasn't gibberish. Sometimes you see that in religious groups. You don't see that in the Bible. You see this was a language that could be understood. Um, You see that that they were able to hear what it said. They could hear it in their, their original language themselves. So the gift of tongues... If we understand it right, this was something that was temporary in the time of the apostles. God gave the apostles these miraculous gifts gifts to help spread the gospel, to help light the match of the gospel and help it be taught everywhere before God's Word could be given enough that the church could have God's Word, uh, even in printed form today, for us to pass it along. And so this was a temporary gift, but it was an important gift because it let God speak to people in a very personal way. And through these people, but in a language that was the person's home language. And so you see that here in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come. So this is one of the three feasts of the Old Testament. Everybody was supposed to come to Jerusalem. It was a time of celebration. And that day is here. It says they were all together in one place. I didn't ask you to open your Bibles to it. But if you had your Bibles open, and look just one verse back at the end of Acts chapter 1. The they is the apostles, the now twelve apostles, as Matthias has taken the place of Judas. They, the apostles, were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. I picture like they, they always say before a tornado comes through, that almost train whistle sound. I guess that's the type of thing I picture. It doesn't describe it that way. All it describes it as a violent rushing wind the type of thing that would get everybody's attention. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. So this 
This violent wind fills the whole house. It says, There appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. So these, these tongues of fire, I don't have any idea what, how big they were. Or, or I guess I know what a tongue looks like, but I don't know what a, a fiery tongue looks like. In some way, these tongues came and, and rested on them. I guess it was a vis- an image to show them what God was doing. God was going to let them speak in these tongues, that they, these languages they never learned. And so he rests on them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. As you might imagine, as the following verses show, everybody came running to see what was going on here. Because you couldn't miss the sound of the wind, the violent wind. And then all of a sudden, these, these guys who everyone knew had been with Jesus... All of a sudden, they're speaking all these languages. And so in the conversation that follows, you have all these people there in Jerusalem from all different backgrounds saying, how is it that these Jews are speaking our languages from back home, where where we grew up and the, the ones that only we know? And then what happens? Peter stands up with this crowd that has gathered to see what's happening. In fact, if you remember, you could read it for yourself again in the verses in between. Someone had spoken up and started mocking them, saying, maybe these guys are drunk. <laughs> there's, there's something weird going on here. Maybe they're filled with new wine. And so Peter will stand up and he'll have to defend that first and say, hey, we're not drunk. Uh, let me tell you what's really happening here. And that's what happens. Peter stands up in verse 14. Peter sta- taking his stand with the eleven. And again, it was the twelve apostles that received this miraculous gift. He raised his voice and he declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And then he starts out by saying, We're not drunk. It's early in the day. Jesus has done this, just as he promised. He says in verse 22, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. In other words, God used Jesus to do things to show you that only God can do these things. The God who is big enough to make the world shows you that he's still powerful and he can still work in his world whenever he wants to. And so he showed you through Jesus that, that this was real. This was really from God. Well, this man, Jesus... Delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God had always planned for Jesus to be that sacrifice for our sins. But he said, you're the ones who carried it out. You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death for not only him, but eventually for all of us since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Jesus is God himself. It's impossible for death to hold him. Peter goes on in his sermon. He says, this Jesus, God raised up again, and we all saw it. We have witnesses. Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus appeared to so many people, you can go talk to him. Like, we're not just making stuff up here. He says, we saw it. Verse 33, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, there's the ascension, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you now both see and hear. Jesus sent this to us, and now we're able to do some of those miraculous type things that only God can do too. 
By the way, I do imagine in my own mind, the Bible doesn't say exactly what it was, but I imagine Peter was speaking this sermon in Greek, the language that everyone could speak. So while everyone had their own background languages that they were hearing the apostles speaking in different places, Peter's probably speaking the one everybody spoke in those days. Either way, he's preaching to the whole crowd. He says, he ends his thoughts in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. And if you want to know how you become a Christian in the Christian age, how you're saved in the Christian age, I don't think God could have told us any more clearly than He does right here in this passage of Acts chapter 2. Because here the church is starting. Jesus has risen and ascended back to the Father. So many things are coming together here in Acts chapter 2. And the people ask the question in verse 37, um, what shall we do? I put this slide up here most Sundays, or one like it most Sundays as we end our lessons. Um, Inviting people who maybe have never thought about becoming a Christian or how you do it, or maybe you're asking for the first time how you do it. And, And it has what we often call steps where every step is important, but but they all come together in that last one. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. I think you see, you'll see here in Acts 2 where we get what we often call those steps. We sure not, we don't want to make up ways of how people can be saved. We don't get to make that decision. God gets to make that decision. But notice here in Acts chapter 2, the people say, when they heard this, it says. So that's that first step. You got to hear about it. You got to hear who Jesus is. You got to hear about how He died and how He rose again and how He's now at the right hand of the Father. Like that was, that's part of it. If you're not a Christian, you're thinking about how, to, how that would even happen. You start by hearing and learning and thinking for yourself, um, reading what the Bible says about the message of salvation. So they hear. And then the second thing is they believed. They were pierced to the heart. The reason I think that's believing is Romans 10 verse 10 tells us that with the heart a person believes. That's what the heart does. It either believes or it doesn't believe. It, it makes, makes choices. So they were pierced to the heart. They hear, they believe. They say, they ask the question there to Peter and the apostles, what do we do? It's like, what, what, what do I do now? Peter answers them very specifically, repent. That, that third step we often say, repent. And each of you be baptized. There's the fifth, last step. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we missed the confession step. It's the only one that's not mentioned here. Where where does confession come and hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized? Well, what we find out as we continue reading our Bible, we find that confession is part of that process of becoming a Christian. And there was often this confession done at baptism. You might even say it's part of the baptism event. But in Romans 10 verse 9 says, You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so all those things come together in that Acts 2.38. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how the Bible says to be saved today. And that's how we try to teach to be saved today. We don't get to make that decision. We don't get to change it. We don't get to decide what people like or don't like. This is how God says we're saved in the Christian age. And Peter goes on to say, this promise, this promise of salvation is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. In other words, this is for everybody of all time. He encourages them in verse 40, be saved. He kept on talking. 
I wish I knew what else he said. But he kept talking. Be saved. Don't, don't stay where you're at. Be saved. And verse 41 says, So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Don't you wish you could have seen that? Just seen 3,000 people saying, I need to be baptized. I haven't, I haven't seen that in my life. I, I feel like I've been part of some different things, um, as you probably have in churches too, camps or churches or events or whatever. When they, man, there were some special things that happened. And people really took some great steps of faith. And maybe several baptized. I've never seen Acts chapter 2, though. I've never seen 3,000 people saying, I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. And they're all baptized right there in Jerusalem. And that match for the church was lit. This is where the church came from. And what's amazing is they, they had this sense of commitment. It wasn't just a one-time thing. They really were being brought together as a church. And you see that in verse 42. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, not man-made teaching, not their own teaching, not whatever the new idea and religion was. They, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching because Jesus had given the apostles God's teaching. They devoted themselves to that and to fellowship. They loved being together. That's what fellowship means. It means sharing. They were together. Uh, in fact, as you keep reading on down, I don't have all the verses up here, but as you keep reading on down, they were together all the time, day by day, verse 46 says. They're in each other's homes and they're eating together. They, they enjoyed being together. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. One of the ways the Bible refers to the Lord's Supper is the breaking of bread. We've we devoted ourselves to that again this morning, something they did every Sunday, that Christians did every Sunday uh, ever since. That's been the plan. Devoted themselves to prayer, something we hope we're doing in our lives as well, both individually and as a church. There was a sense of commitment there to each other, to Christ, to this life they had taken on. This wasn't fake. This was, this was a church in every sense of the word. You know, sometimes people get real frustrated at the idea of church today. And they point out inconsistencies and hypocrisies and, and people doing this and people doing that. But I, don't, I haven't met anyone who doesn't read through Acts chapter 2 and see what, what that church did and doesn't say something like, hey, that's the type of church I want to be part of. I want to be part of a church that really loves each other. I want to be part of a church where the faith is genuine, where, where they are, they're really trying to serve God. They are devoting themselves to God. That is their life. They are all in. I want to be part of a people who believe in taking the Lord's Supper and remembering the death of Jesus. I want to be part of a people who are, who are praying together and serious about their faith, that there's a real God who really impacts the world. I haven't met anyone who doesn't read through that and say, that's what the church should be. And so I guess my final encouragement this morning is, let's be those people. Let's, let's try. And we try. That's our goal in Churches of Christ, to just be the church of the Bible and just be the church that Christ established in Scripture, right there in Acts chapter 2. In fact, you see it on, on some church buildings. The, the congregation Aaron and I were part of up in West Kentucky before we moved here had a, was one of those buildings that had a little plaque on the side and it said, uh, the Church of Christ established in Jerusalem about A.D. 33. You may have seen a church building like that. What they were saying is, we're trying to be that church. 
Not any sort of man-made church, not, not anything else. We want to be the church Jesus Christ established. Let's do that. Let's have the vision and the mission Jesus gave them to want to share the gospel with everybody and let them make their own decisions and hopefully encourage them to come to the Lord. Let's love each other the way they loved each other. Let's let's continue to try to serve people and serve God the way they did. Let's be devoted to this faith we have taken on ourselves when we were baptized into Jesus Christ. If we'll do that, I think people will see it. I think people will want to be part of it. Let's have a prayer, and then we'll offer an invitation this morning. God, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for your church that you established. God, it's a good reminder to us to walk through your word and just see that this wasn't our idea. This was your idea. And God, we know we're not perfect, and we know we fall short in so many ways, but help us to try to be the church you want us to be, a church that loves you, a church that loves each other, a church that reaches out to our community and to our world. We pray, God, you help all of us to see where we're falling short and with your strength and your help to do better. If any of us, God, are not right with you today, I pray you'll give us the courage to take whatever steps we need to take to get right with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we sing this next song. If there is anybody here who would like the prayers of the church, we'll be down front ready to talk with you. Uh, You're invited as we sing this next song to come to the front. We'll talk with you. We'll pray for you. Maybe you're ready to become a Christian today. If you haven't started that process, let us know. We'll be glad to start studying with you. But if you come in today ready to confess your faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, we'd love to help you with that as well. If we can help you in any way, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand, while we stand. Oh, yeah.